The reason people aren't financially free is they don't know what to do and they don't know where to start. I want you to join Joey and I at the Virtual Inner Circle Live April the 4th through the 6th as we share with you the exact answers to those questions. We only do this event one time per year. I don't want you to miss out. Go to westwatwallstreet.com forward slash live and enter promo code podcast. When you're at this event, you're going to get your investor DNA. You're going to get access to up to six different passive income strategies. So you know, leaving this event, exactly what to do, taking our decades of knowledge so that you can start becoming financially free. Go to wealthwhitewallstreet.com forward slash live and enter the promo code podcast. Wall Street Tribe, you asked us, hey, could you guys bring back that Becoming Your Own Banker series that you did four years ago? And the answer is yes, we can. Yes. Get ready for episode one of 18 to be dropped right now in Becoming Your Own Banker, the book review by Nelson Nash. Let's go ahead and get started. Every single week, you're going to get one of these in your inbox all summer so you can know what it takes to become your own banker. The most important thing you can learn. Let's jump in right now. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Welcome. This is the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Your host, Joey, the Italian stallion Murray, joined as always by Russ, the idea guy Morgan. Russ, it's been almost two years that we've been on this podcast, and yet we have never broken down the foundational book, Become Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash. Two years. What is wrong with us? Two years? <laughs> That's crazy. Not quite, but we're getting there. Yeah. I mean, it's that is one of those things I... I typically a slow learner. Uh, you know, this is Alabama. People are like, Hey man, every, how's everything going? It's like, it's going slow. That's what we do in Alabama. We got one speed. We do it slow, but Hey, it's an opportunity. And that's why I'm excited about the podcast today. And hopefully a range of podcasts that we're going to be able to do about this book, breaking down some of the things that Nelson could have written this book. It could have been a thousand pages. Yes, yeah, 85 pages, but he wanted it to where you would actually read it and yeah. get through it in a very short period of time because most people don't consume financial information at all, That's right. especially in a book format. And for him to have sold almost half a million copies of this at this point, it, it's a real testament to the fact that he made the book so straight to the point, so simple. He didn't break out a lot of the uh, areas that I think you and I can touch on because in a podcast, we have a little more uh, length of time that we can take. You're riding down the road. You can listen to this one. You can come back and listen to the next episode, the next episode. So I, yeah, I think it's due time that we did this for sure. Well, and hopefully it'll just add some flavor or maybe even clarify some things that you've already been thinking. You've read this book. Many of you have already read this book. Now we're just going to add a little bit more flavor to it and, and say, okay, what about this? What about that? So how does this break into the five pillars, right? I mean, when yeah. you start thinking about my objective is to create passive income streams that are greater than my monthly expenses. That's I right. need to understand the foundational tool of the life insurance and how the life insurance is being used as an instrument 
financing right. a financing instrument, right? To take over the banking function. To do all of those things. And this book, so if you've not read this book, go buy a copy. You can go on our uh, website. You can go on the link here uh, with the podcast show notes and you can buy a copy or you can go on Google, Amazon, wherever and buy it. It, it exists everywhere. Start following it because we're going to take you through from from the beginning to the end. And it may take a little bit because, again, we're slow. <laughs> but it's going to be worth it. Yes. Go with us on the journey. But I think that the little nuggets that we're going to draw out of this and and help you see it from a you know a bigger range is going to hopefully apply to your situation. It's going to allow you to take that next level. OK, so we, we're literally opening the book figuratively and literally. And the first right out of the gate, Nelson hits us with a pretty stunning statistic, right? If somebody were to redistribute the wealth of this world that he said within how long? Within 10 years time, 97% of the world's wealth would be in 3% of people's hands. Okay. First of all, true. You think that's true or false? I, I think it's probably really true. I mean, he's, he's, never been really inaccurate about anything i'm I'm gonna go go with true too so why do you believe that stallion though why do you believe that if all the money was distributed evenly to all the people in the world within 10 years 97 percent of it would reside in the hands of three percent i think it comes down to what we've been talking about on this show is that we have been taught to abdicate the function of our own money and wealth building and all that to someone else from day one. So obviously it's, we've been trained to do this. This is not something that is, um, you know, you have to go very far to figure that out. This is a constant struggle. And what Nelson talks about is that we don't understand the banking process, but I just think in, in general education, when it comes to finances is null. Well, we are taught to give our money away to money babysitters, right? We we believe that someone else will do a better job with it than we will because we are not following the hierarchy of wealth. We're not following that process of saying, okay, first things first, I'm going to build a stable foundation with cash and cash values. That's right. Then I'm going to invest in the one asset that I can control, which is myself, my business, the things that I know that I can influence. Thirdly, I move up to things that I can collateralize, like real estate, lending against real estate, business ventures that, and other people's businesses. And then lastly, if I ever get there, I go into that most speculative asset, which is where 99% of the people are putting their money. Day they, one. They're just giving it to them and saying, right. I hope, I hope you come back money. Please come back money <laughs> with friends, right? Please bring your friends. By the way, so if you if you're listening to this, you haven't heard our podcast on the hierarchy of wealth, go back and listen to that one because he we're going to break it down. That was just a really quick rendition, but I I'm I'm also saying like look at this from the picture of a a football field. Okay? Are you standing on the sidelines cheering and hoping that someone else is the quarterback out there taking care of your money? That's what most people are. They're literally sitting there clapping them on and saying, we, you know, they're Charles Barkley in the Auburn uh, run in the uh, NCAA tournament. Like we, he's using the term we. Exactly. Right? Or like I would do we. But at the end of the day, we can't influence the play unless we're actually one of the players. Absolutely. And I would say you have to be the quarterback. One of the foundational principles of Wealth Without Wall Street is that we're coach, you're the quarterback. 
If that role gets reversed at any point, we're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Yeah, but it's got it's got to be that way. How opposite of that is that what most people are doing with money? Oh, it's 180 degrees. Or being taught to do with money. That's right. But why? <laughs> why, Russ? Oh, what are these businesses and business to do? Make money for you or make money for them? Make money for them. Make money for them. When you start with that premise, again, not that that makes them evil people. You're in a business too. Who are you in business for? <laughs> You're in business for you. That's right. That, that's the way we operate. But we need to think about whose money are people going to take better care of? Yours or theirs? Always going to be theirs. That's right. They're going to take better care of their own money. And so if you're ever investing with somebody, you need to find out how much money they have in that same deal and, and make them tell you when they start to change deals, because that's the only way you can truly know if they're investing their expertise into an area that they know because they're putting their own money in it. Yeah. Let, let's be honest. Okay. I actually was on a, another podcast recently on the Real Advice podcast. So t check them out. But we made the point that how many uh, can you can think back to you, you're just getting out of college. You spent some time learning whatever it is that you learned in college and you're transitioning into your first job. And then simultaneously, you've got a whole crew of other people you went to school with and they're transitioned to a new job. Within about two to four weeks, someone will emerge that you went to college with who was probably drinking at parties and all this stuff with you. And now they're a financial advisor. <laughs> calling on you two, two to four weeks. I mean, give it that much time. They know that you just got your first paycheck and they're all of a sudden your financial advisor. Do they really have a track record? No. What have they received in two to four weeks? Sales training, sales training. That is exactly what they have been trained to do is to say, how can I get access to your money? Cause I have none of my own. Right. Robert Kiyosaki harps on this all the time. It's like, if you want to become wealthy, it, listen to wealthy people. Stop listening to salespeople and money babysitters. Because at the end of the day, that's what most of the, uh, Wall Street is about, is people literally trying to part you with your money to give it to them so that they can create money for themselves. 100 percent. And so if we look at what Nelson talks about in this first part, I mean, part one, he goes into identifying what most people make mistakes in. And so I think of, you know, he says most people don't understand the process of banking and its importance. OK, break that down because I don't want to miss. This is a huge opportunity. Well, we've done it before on the show. We went through Bank of America, for instance. Right. right. 2016, look at Bank of America stats. They had a little over $800 billion in deposits, right? They paid out about $1.9 billion in interest, and they took in just under $50 billion in interest payments to them. That was really kind of them to give that, that money back. That That's right. What, how did they make that 2,600% <laughs> return? It wasn't through their money, was it? No. Whose money created it? It was ours. It was someone else's money. So they understand the process of banking. So how do we apply that? Because at the end of the day, most of the times we're taught there's only two ways to buy things. Either I'm a spender, I'm going to borrow money from someone else, and I'm going to pay interest. And then Captain Obvious comes out, he gets on the radio and says, debt is dumb. <laughs> he says, debt is dumb. That's You're right. paying interest to someone else. You're stupid. Why right. are you doing that, right? And we all look around. We say, hey, man, I, 
yeah, I look at this mortgage statement I, I have. I, I bought a house for $250,000. If I pay it over 30 years, I'm going to pay another $280,000 in interest, interest for it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. That I, sounds like a bad deal. I, I need to pay cash. That's right. So what should I do? I should take my money and then I'm a saver. I save. I postpone buying, which is not a bad thing, by the way. I postpone. There's some discipline yeah, there. Yeah, I, I'm saving this money. But as soon as I get enough saved up, I go buy whatever that thing is. How much money do I have left? None. Zero. How much money do I have earning interest for me? Zero. Zero. So now what I've done is that I've avoided paying interest to someone else, but I've also avoided earning interest. And those two numbers are very similar. That's mind blowing right there, Russ. So what's the solution? Well, I think first is that you got to understand there is one money pool. Nelson Nash in the book, he says there's just one pool of cash. The fact that it it is divided into different currencies and different denominations, it's just nominal. Like you, you need to understand there's just one big pool of money, but that's not the way we treat our personal finances, is it? No, no. In fact, I think, you know, I'm glad we're doing this because when you read this in the book, it sometimes can come across like it's just a really conceptual idea, right? Yeah. So I read that. I'm like, yeah, of course, all the money in the world is like a big pool of money, like the water around the earth, 75% of its water. It's all connected. Okay. I can agree with that, but how does that really affect me and the way I'm going to actually implement this for my family and my, and my own income and money? Well, it's how am I opposite of that by separating my money, segregating it, into all these different places I've been told is good for me. So where do I save for emergencies? Checking account, saving account, right? Where do I save for college? Oh, 529 plans. Well, where do I save for, um, let's say, retirement? Oh, got to go into some sort of a qualified plan for that. But wait a minute, who told me that those things were necessary? People that work at those different places. They the salespeople. Yeah, at those different accounts. Why is it that, Joey, you, if you have children as young as what a couple months old, right? why, <laughs> my, my eight week old why would you put money in one account for her and wait 18 years before you used it? Because that's how banks operate, right? Like they just sit on the money. <laughs> right? Yeah. Th- name me a business. No, Any I'm business sorry. Joke. I'm being sarcastic. G- give me a business. We obviously we've broke down banks. Give me another. How about business. how about real estate? I, I work with a lot of realtors, and okay. I just came back from the conference last week. All right. Week. So I, I run a real estate brokerage office. Yeah. And my objective is to sell one house for the year. Um, it better be a massive house <laughs> if you're going to do one. It's not going to be good, right? <laughs> no, I want to sell a house, take the income that comes from that deal have enough money to go out and market to other potential sellers right to then buy the buy those signs to buy the market materials and all that stuff to get more Online houses presence, whatever to, to bring that income in to be able to go out and do more deals to bring that income in to, it, that's how you scale it's deal flow that's right money has to flow cash is not king you know it's king cash flow cash flow Bang. cash flow is king Businesses run off this. Here's another business, Walmart. Yeah. How does Walmart work, Joey? You know, they they just, they buy one product and then they sell it out and they're like, whew, that was good. I'm glad that's over. (laughs) Right. No, they keep that money in flow. They, if that continues to sell, they continue to buy additional product, put it right back out there, 
continue to distribute that product over and over and over. And they're working off the margin every single time. As money comes in, they take that money to buy more product to turn around and sell it. This is basic. This This, is logic. If this is the way businesses run, every single business you know runs this way, why would we run our financial business separately, differently? Yeah, we have to we have to stop. Like I think you mentioned that uh, just the other day you were listening like Grant Cardone. He's talking about information that we have the wrong information that we're operating out of. The data set that we have, we've been taught from day one through our education system and whatnot, our family systems, that we have the wrong data set. This is the data set we need to be starting to refill our brains with is what is going on around us? Nelson has was always famous of saying, if you know what's going on, you'll know what to do. Yeah. And, and so we have to break down things like banking and businesses and all these things that are already, these are proven. This is not like conceptual. So how do they operate and how can we be like them? So if we see our money as one big pool instead of segmenting it, we understand how the banking process works. We create a life insurance contract that gives us the ability to earn interest while using it, right? We take those spender saver example I just talked about. Yeah, break, break that down because I don't want that to be missed. Well, instead of one of the other, instead of those being mutually exclusive, we actually can bring those together. We can literally start money in motion through these insurance policies. And in the book, he says this, right? He says the, the building of uh, cash values in a life insurance contract is similar to when he was a forester, the way that trees grew, compounding year over year tax-free by the way right our money is constantly at work and we can borrow money against that cash value to be able to buy the same things to invest in the same things we were going to do before we don't have to give up the interest now in an example that i will do if you go to our show notes i'm going to do a quick webinar that that shows how this works. What is the difference between paying someone else interest? What is the difference between paying cash and not supposedly, quote unquote, not paying interest to someone else? That's right. And then thirdly, using an insurance policy where I do pay interest to the insurance company. If you've listened to our show for any length of time, you've heard us talk about infinite banking and how we were able to use that concept to create over $50,000 a month in passive income. It's just not that easy to figure out how does this all connect into my own personal system. Stallion, that's why we created the Passive Income Operating System, bro. It shows you how to turn active income into passive income. It makes all the steps come together. If you would like to get access to it as a podcast listener, we've never given this away in public before. Go to whatswhatwallstreet.com forward slash P-I-O-S. There was nothing worse than walking into class when you're in school and the teacher saying, pop quiz day. Why? Because you were unprepared. Are you unprepared, though, for financial freedom? Don't be. Find out how close you are by taking our 30-second quiz at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash quiz. Okay, hands down, Russ. The number one question, if someone, you go out today and you start telling a friend, this is what I'm doing with my money, through an insurance policy, I'm borrowing from the insurance company, paying them interest. The number one thing that people that aren't doing this, by the way, are going to tell you is, that's crazy. Why are you paying interest to somebody for your money? What I'm going to say is go watch this video. (laughs) 
Look, yeah, go watch this video. Go watch this video because I I want you to see the numbers. I want you to see it for yourself. So go to our show notes, watch this short video. I haven't done it yet. I'm going to do it as we <laughs> finish up today. So I don't know how long it'll be, five to 10 minutes. It'll be short. But you'll see why we pay interest to insurance companies. And I know you know this because you own these policies, but sometimes you need a refresher. Well, and at the end of the day, I'm, my goal is when you watch this video, you're going to be able to say, I, yeah, of course I pay the insurance company. I can't afford to give up the, the interest I would have lost. Yeah. No, it's going to cost that person that's the hater, the person that's telling you that this is a bad deal. They're going to be the ones wishing that they had the system in place so that they weren't losing so much opportunity. All right. So digging back into the book, Nelson says this book, Becoming Your Own Banker, is about creating your own banking system. Right. Is there a little confusing around that? I don't know. What do you mean? Meaning how much do people really see initially of creating their own banking system? Do they see this? as a place that they just put some of their cash or do they see this as where their money truly flows oh no the the first step and, and by the way this is not like a we've all been through this process i mean you and i alike i've told my story you start me off on one policy this was 10 years ago and it was all i could see at the time was one application two thousand bucks a month into my policy man i i can see that and within a year, that number tripled because I started to see more and more and more. So my point is saying you got to get started somewhere, even if you can only see so little, it just is a place where you can start, you know, the process. But as you grow it, it does become a system, right? You, you have to start seeing the much bigger picture as you progress. It's a mindset. Absolutely. It's a mindset of thinking through my money has to flow through some instrument. Yeah. Don't get caught up on that. I'm be becoming a bank, like the brick and mortar. I feel like that could be one of the hangups, right? I mean, was that for you too, Russ? Well, I think, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm slow to, to the game. It take me, I don't know, like four and a half, five years before I figured this out. And, and maybe another four years after doing it to really get my arms around it. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's mindset. It's when I start seeing this as a pool of money that I get to own and control, then I start finding more ways to use it, right? That's right. I'm using 100% of my money in some shape or form, whether I'm actually putting it to work or I'm saving that's right. Right. Well, I'm spending that saving, whatever I'm doing with it, I'm using 100% of it. Well, but most people, they take just a portion of their money and they say, I'm going to put this portion over here for this insurance. And then I'm going to use this other whatever, 90%, 80%, 70% somewhere through somebody else's system. Yep. Somebody else's bank. It, and it, it goes into, and Nelson Nash, he, the reason he created this book, right? It came out of experience. He, he had some very um, negative experiences that happened in the early 80s. Yeah, um, it was about that time that uh, interest rates went through the roof and he had a ton of money leveraged and these short term notes. Now, we're going to clarify that in just a few minutes. He had short term notes on real estate that were 90 day loans that were at nine and a half or so. And then all of a sudden, bang 
crime goes through the roof, he's at 23% overnight. Yeah, and so I don't want to question Nelson on what he was doing then, but how many people do you know right now who are buying things on 90-day notes? Yeah, it's not a normal thing. That, that's, I mean, so if you're using credit cards to invest in things, I'm going to say check yourself. <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. I mean, because that's the equivalent today right. is what somebody would literally borrow money against a credit card to go invest in something. Right. Like that's super duper speculative, right? That interest rate, not only is it probably the highest it can be, but it still can change because it's tied to some sort of moving target like prime. Where when we're talking about real estate investing and talking about leverage, what are we usually using? What sort of instruments? We're talking about long-term mortgages, like 30-year notes, stuff like that. Because that's going to increase your ROI better than any short-term notes. Right. But I still love the fact that he, he thought about, you know, look, in order for me to get out of this mess, I need to have more money put into an instrument that I could do. He actually started following the hierarchy of wealth, didn't he? Oh, man. It's like he took a note out of your book, Russ. Well, it's not my book, somebody else's book, but a book we read. <laughs> right. and, and, and we were reading in this when we, we said, all right, well, how did he get himself out of the mess? The first thing he started doing was start increasing how much money he was putting into his life insurance contracts. Yes. But how did he do that when he simultaneously had all this extra expense of interest that was totally like, whoa, where where'd that come from? He started investing in the number one asset. <laughs> he started investing in himself took the knowledge that he was, you know, dreaming up, thinking up, and then started writing books on it, started going around and teaching people this concept. What do you say? Well, but first he had to put a little governor on his spending. Oh, no, no right? doubt. He created a spending plan. Okay. Now that's not our favorite thing to talk about. No, but he, he, he got, he got honest with himself is what he said. That's right. <laughs> he, he, he started, uh, cause he had to focus on cash flow. He, he had to fix that, that formula, right? He had, uh, too much going out, not enough coming in. Right. So that, again, started the base of the hierarchy of wealth. It's first about cash flow. If you're not saving anything, you have no cash or cash value reserves. In this case, we're going to say cash value. Then you're not in any position to start investing. So he had to start there. Then he moved into, as you mentioned, investing in himself. And what happened to his income? It tripled. Bang. That is, that's the powerful thing. What other investment can you put in time, energy, and money that triples itself in a relatively short amount of time? It's in your, in yourself, in the business that you're in. So where did he take those, the, the returns from the investment in himself and put, Joey? Then he started to, to pay down these debts. He started putting it back into cash values and use the cash values to pay off the debts. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it is. So he was that wealth creator we've been talking about, not the spender, not the saver, but both. Because what would have happened if he had just taken the income that tripled and just started paying off the debts? What if he expanded his system? No. His system would have stayed the same size. stymied. It would have stayed the same size. So what he understood first is I need to take the money, build something. I need to plant a tree, right? That's right. I need to get the tree growing, and then I can borrow against that growth to go pay off the debt. And then I can take the cash flow that's freed up from paying off the debts and do what? Replenish the loans that I've taken off against these assets that are still growing. Okay. So I'm going to practically bring this back to someone right now. You're listening to this and you've got, you've been operating. You've got a policy. It's just been cash on the sidelines. 
okay, I'm going to quote unquote diversify and put some money over here in these policies. I like Joey and Russ and this wealth without wall street gang, whatever, but you're operating 90% out of cash. You're still paying for all your vacations out of cash. You're still paying your taxes out of cash. You're still doing all these things. These major cash flows and wealth transfers are happening out of someone else's bank. So what, what's happening? They're planting trees for who? Somebody else. Somebody else. Bank of America. Does, <laughs> does Bank of America actually take any of those cash flows and buy insurance policies with it? Uh, yeah, a lot of it. To the tune of how much? 22 billion? Yeah. Yeah. So the the application here is that there should be right now on your dashboard a check engine light. If I'm able to operate 100% outside of my policy, that this is just this little add-on, this little I mean, think about it like the air freshener in your car, it's just hanging up there. By the way, who's is got, that a good analogy? You, are you rolling around with the air freshener in your car, Joey? <laughs> the little evergreen tree? No, I mean, no. I think in like the Dan Aykroyd moment with Tommy Boy's like, man, what's that smell? He's like, oh, it's a pine tree, uh, you know, air freshener. He's like, now you've identified the problem. Next step is washing it out. <laughs> exactly. So if this, if your policy is just the evergreen air freshener hanging on your, on your rear view and you're operating out of cash, you're, you have a red alert right now. It says you got way too much cash, not enough cash value. So that's where the system it needs to expand. That's how you take that. That's why our, our clients have on average, what, five policies? Yes. They got to continue to expand just as Nelson talks about in the book. Well, and so the end part of where we are today, he says, becoming your own banker in order to use this, it requires understanding and discipline. Right, everybody everybody knows what understanding means, right, Russ? Mm, no. What is understanding? Okay, so my thought is understanding is not knowledge. There's plenty of people that have knowledge, but it's the way you implement that knowledge that becomes understanding. Well, have you ever heard somebody say uh, that person has uh, book smarts but no street smarts? Yeah. Th that's kind of the example of having knowledge without understanding. You ever watch the, the video we've talked about a few times on here? If you haven't, I encourage you to go watch it, The Backwards Bicycle, just YouTube Backwards Bicycle. And he demonstrates that, says that exact thing. Knowledge does not equal understanding. Because he's trying to, he knows how to ride a bike, but, and when he flips it to be backwards, he can't ride the bike. It's when you know that experience <clears throat> starts creating a level of understanding. Now you can experience, I've watched you play golf. You've played golf, but it doesn't give you an understanding of the game. Because if you continue to do it wrong, it's just bad play, right? That's right. You have to get coaching. You have to learn what you're doing incorrectly and then start practicing that. But that, but, that leads more into discipline, Well, in my I, opinion. Well, I will say that that is a, a definitely a part of this thing is that in order for us to do this, we've got to start first, right? We've got to start with a policy. It, you knew that because when we when we worked together for the first time, we said, we just got to start. That's right. We're going to start using this. We're going to start implementing a, a way to, you know, whether it's buying a, a car, whether it's going on a big vacation, paying, off a, paying debt. off a debt, we're going to start using this. We're looking for an investment opportunity with it. We're going to start using it. 
And then you're going to start getting a little bit of understanding. You're going to be the one in control, which is going to be this whole new thing that you're going to be like, wait a second. I didn't know this existed. I didn't know I could be in control of my money. I didn't know it. By the way, that That tunnel vision is going to open up. And that comes with its own issues. You've got to gain more understanding into the areas in which you're getting ready to use the money. But then you have to have discipline. Okay. So I'm hearing this. I read that. And discipline sounds like a bad thing. Sounds like a heavy gate, uh, like a weight on me. That's what my son said. Yeah. <laughs> when he was headed to the baseball game yesterday and yeah. uh, had to discipline. I mean, well, after the baseball game, after the baseball game. But see, that's the beautiful thing, though. Discipline is when we are literally learning what's happening and we're getting involved. But in order to truly have discipline, you got to have somebody else with you. That's right. You got to have some accountability. That's right. And that's why, obviously, at Wealth Without Wall Street, we are about being a coach and you're the quarterback. You've got to have that outside influence, that outside objective feedback to bring you back to what am I doing? What's the next step? All right, I got that done. What's the next step? That's what we're about. We're creating that process and working with you, not for you. Yeah. And if you have a little bit of coaching, you you gain understanding, you become a better steward of your cash flow, you start grasping that I get to make money off my money at putting it to work. Now I'm down the road of this whole becoming your own banker. So Thank you for joining us today because this was just the first of many episodes. The tip as, of the iceberg. As Joey and I break out, becoming your own banker step by step. And we hope this is going to help you, one, be a better steward of the money that you have, but understand how to use this valuable asset and tool to its greatest potential and ultimately be investing in yourself so that you create more passive income than you have monthly expenses. Thank you for joining us. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.